Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. In this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with 10th Planet Eddie Bravo Black Belt, Zach Mislaney. Zach is also a second-degree Tiger Shulman Black Belt, a former kickboxer, Golden Glove boxer, MMA competitor, co-founder of 10th Planet Bethlehem, 10th Planet Allentown, finishers tournaments, podcaster, YouTuber, and coffee shop owner, as well as so much more. It's no wonder Zach has so many exciting and successful endeavors going on. It's infectious to stand in the whirlwind of his space. It makes you want to jump in and be part of whatever initiative he's dreamt up. There's a great deal of inspiration to take from Zach's story. Zach lives in Pennsylvania. He felt much of the jiu-jitsu action was concentrated in other areas of the country and neglected in Pennsylvania. So, in typical Zach fashion, he creates two academies that produce two of the best no-gi jiu-jitsu competitors to date. And this is the reason I refer to him as the king and queen maker, Grace Gundrum and John Thor Blank. If it was not enough, he goes on to create a platform for the local practitioners to shine via his finishers tournaments. This seems to be a trend in Zach's life. If it's not available, make it yourself and be proud of your work. I greatly appreciate and relate to his DIY ethos. And with that, I give you the king and queen maker, Zach Mislaney. I'm Adolfo Ferranda, the host of Forever White Belt, here with special guest. And can you introduce yourself, Zach? What's up, man? Uh, Zach Maslany, 10 Planet Bethlehem Finishers MMA. How are you guys doing? Thanks so much for being on the show. So happy to have you here. Yeah, no problem. Like I said, thanks for thinking of me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, anytime I get a chance to come on and, you know, talk with somebody about all this stuff, I always take the opportunity. So I really appreciate it. So Zach, you're a black belt under Eddie Bravo, correct? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin story? How did you get here? Let's go way back. How'd you even fall into martial arts in general? It's actually, everybody's story is always their own. And um, I actually got, I think it's a pretty funny story, but, uh, and it all rounds together. But uh, when I was a kid, my dad put me and my younger brother, Paul, into karate. He wanted to put us in karate because at the time he was a big fight fan. He liked boxing. My dad was really into boxing when he was a kid, you know, but he never got a chance to, to do it. His parents never let him, and his parents never let him, my grandparents never let my dad do martial arts either. So he mm-hmm. thought, Right when he got a chance, both of his sons living with him, he was going to put us right into martial arts. So he was also a big Walker, Texas Ranger fan. So he loved <laughs> yeah. Chuck Norris. Yeah, who doesn't? And, yeah, everybody, my, dad, my dad's in his 60s, and I think everybody my dad's age loves Chuck Norris. And he just, you know, Chuck Norris is one of those guys that, like, he doesn't seem like he aged at all. He's 70-something. You know, a lot of people always think of Bruce Lee as being one of the guys who, you know, started thinking of philosophy more towards uh, mixed martial arts. And Chuck Norris was right there with him, I think. Um, He was just doing it a little bit of a different way. So, yeah, I really looked up to Chuck Norris, too. I even wrote him a letter one time when I was a kid, and he uh, sent a thing back to me. I have no idea where it's at, but it said, congrats on your purple belt or whatever, and uh, keep kicking, Chuck. And he signed it. And I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing of all time. And yeah, I just started with karate. And we we went through a couple different karate schools. It started with Master Glacier Karate. And then eventually we changed to Tiger Shulman's Karate. Tiger Shulman's took over. Um, Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Tiger Shulman's? Yes. Yeah, they're a real big big name. Yeah, big name on the East Coast mm-hmm. and um, was a really big name in, uh, you know, full contact karate back in the day. He won like seven years in a row, the Masoyama right. full contact bare knuckle. And he was just, you know, he was trashing guys with all types of things like side kicks, like spinning mm-hmm. back kicks, the roll kick where you do the rolling hit and you kick the guy in the head. Tiger Shulman was way, way ahead of his time too. Mm-hmm. So I eventually started working, training at Tiger Shulman's. Our school changed. Trained there for a long time, got my uh, second degree black belt under Tiger Shulman, 
and uh, my old Sensei Sensei V. And then um, did some MMA fights for them and then kickboxing, boxing. I did the golden gloves. I tried to do everything when I was a kid. I lost, I lost an MMA fight by jujitsu. And that's kind of how I found Eddie Bravo. Like I started mm. looking into, you know, my own for the first time, like going online and going to, you know, when I had access to a computer and just trying to find, you know, what else is out there besides just trying to learn moves off pride and uh, just UFC. And then uh, eventually that's why I fell in with Eddie. And then what brings the story back is Eddie Bravo is actually a black belt under John Jock Machado. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm a big John Jock. Actually, I'm wearing a John Jock hat right now. And um, big fan of John Jock. I really look up to him as I do, you know, Eddie Bravo. But, you know, John Jock is like a jiu-jitsu Yoda, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know this, but Chuck Norris actually brought John Jock over to America and his brothers. Yeah, and then brother. he actually instituted people in American karate. You had to get your blue belt in jiu-jitsu under the Machados first before he could give you a black belt in the karate style. He just saw that it was so important to learn grappling because he could kick people. But the second the Machado's got a hold of him, I mean, they're ADCC champion, you know, uh, John Jock and, um, you know, his brother, uh, you know, Higan Machado had like one of the best matches ever against Hickson. You know, some say even, you know, he was working Hickson for a while there in that match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. So it kind of brings it back because then I was like, wait a minute, Chuck Norris brought the Machados over and now we're under the Machados and I started, you know, martial arts because of Chuck Norris. So it was pretty cool. (laughs) I always thought that was funny. So you mentioned Bethlehem. So I I had no idea where this place was. And this is a, you know, American uh, public school uh, education here in that. So um, I apologize. So I looked it up and it's in Pennsylvania, correct? Yes. Yeah. Can you talk about that? So you grew up there. Yeah. I'm from this area. Yeah. So a lot of people always, every time we say Bethlehem, they go, Bethlehem, is that where Jesus is from? (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's exactly what Eddie Bravo said, too, when we told him we were from Bethlehem. He was like, wait a minute, not in Israel, right? I was like, no, 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 we're in Pennsylvania. So I grew up in, uh, actually was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And then I grew up in uh, Northampton. I lived Mm -hmm. in Northampton, PA. Then I moved to Bethlehem to my dad's when I was like, like I said, like 13 or 14. It's like a you know, it's a hardworking area. You know, there's areas yeah. where there are a lot of, you know, big homes and a lot of rich people, but there's a lot of, you know, Northampton, Bethlehem, Easton. There's a lot of areas of a lot of people, you know, work hard. I mean, a lot of people from here, their grandparents worked for the Bethlehem Steel, you mm-hmm. know, supplied a lot of the steel for every side, I guess, in, in uh, I think it was World War II or whatever. So, mm-hmm. And then when I went out of business, it was kind of a weird spot for a while. Now the old Bethlehem Steel is a uh, casino now. They turned it into. Wow. And, and it's also too, uh, I know this area, a lot of people don't know Bethlehem, but they, they may know Easton or they may know some other areas in uh, uh, Pennsylvania, like Lock Haven. And yeah. um, it's just mm-hmm. really known, or Nazareth too, is really known yeah. for uh, wrestling. Yeah, a lot of East Coast, uh, you know, heavy Pennsylvania is like a That's real heavy right. area for wrestling. So we got right. guys out here that like, they don't make it to the big, you know, show or like districts or whatever. And they'll, they're like, would be a star on another team in a different area, you know? So. Can you talk about what the jujitsu scene looks like there? Yeah. So before me and uh, my partner JM got started and uh, you know, we had a couple of random karate schools that were kind of teaching jujitsu. And then there was a Henzo Gracie where I used to drive to, that was like maybe an hour and a half away from where I live to, go train there because it was the only guys that uh, back in the day, the two guys, they, they mm. were purple belts under Henzo. And mm. they used to go from where they were in Hatfield to the city. 
So I was like, wow, I got to train with these guys. And I was always trying to look into, you know, other, other training. And um, so for the longest time, there wasn't any jujitsu in our area. And then when mm. there was an MMA school would pop up and go away. And mm-hmm. then eventually when we decided to open, we started in another MMA school. They closed down. We got our own place and then we moved to a bigger place. And now, you know, we got a couple places going on, but now there's, mm-hmm. there's our two schools. There's a place called Zombie BJJ, friends with those guys. And then uh, my mm-hmm. buddy, Mike Padilla, he has a school too. I mean, everybody out here in Pennsylvania is doing really well. I think we handled the you know coronavirus stuff pretty well. And mm-hmm. um, people are getting back to work out here and everything. So there's a lot of people training. You know, all the schools are pretty packed. We do a lot of cross training too. Like a lot of our top students will cross train both places or a couple of the kids too, just to get different looks. And everybody's friends. So it's pretty cool. So when you say both places, so you have two schools, is that correct? One is in Allentown and one is in Bethlehem? Yeah, it's actually, we're on the border like Bethlehem Eastern area, but we just call it Bethlehem. And our other school is called 10 Planet Allentown. And that's run by uh, our first black belt, John Thor Blank. He's going to be competing this weekend. He's the main event at Fight to Win. And he was ranked number four, but he wasn't too active because nothing's been going on. So yeah. I think he might be like number seven or something now. So I see. Um, I see. But yeah, he runs that school over there. He's mostly over there. But a lot of our guys, I send all the big jacked guys over there. I'm like, you guys go to Allentown. You guys are too huge. What are your thoughts on like the state of jujitsu? Yeah, I think it's uh, there's a lot of changes going on, man. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Like for a while, while I was competing uh, just over the past couple of years, still a lot of heel hooks a lot of leg locks going on. So, I mean, that's always going to be a thing because if guys don't respect it, you know, it's something you can easily get caught in. So, you know, guys definitely got to respect the legs. That's huge. But it's not so easy anymore. Like the game has had to keep developing. Sometimes it's crazy. Like if you watch skateboarding or, or motocross or something like that, you think like, okay, the guy did a backflip. Like that, no one ever thought anyone would do a backflip. And then a the guy does two backflips and you're mm-hmm. like, what? And then eventually you're like, how many backflips can a guy do? How many, Mm -hmm. even on a skateboard, like you can get so high in the Mm -hmm. landing. Is there an infinite amount of moves or Mm -hmm. eventually we'll just level off and that's it? Mm -hmm. Who can pull that move off the best? In jujitsu, I always feel like, man, I don't know. That's it. But it's never it. Like I'm just always on the hunt for moves. And uh, there's always stuff that I, you think that's it. What else could there be? What else in the like small meta game? can they come up with, but they, they always do. Someone always comes up with something or add something to the game that just changes it. You know, everything, mm. all the moves are evolving. So I think right now, like, especially with IBJJF saying they're going to allow leg locks. Yeah. I was wondering what your thoughts on yeah. that were. I think it's going to make people respect them more and just train them more. Really. I mean, we never really have a problem at our school with leg locks. Like no one really ever gets hurt. And I really make sure that our guys know them. So that way, if anyone ever comes in from another school, wants to, you know, just go legs, I want our guys. And we have guys that are specialists too. And, uh, you know, things happen, but it's nothing, you know, nothing ever insane happens with it. Like, I I feel like it's just a matter of understanding the positions. I know legs are definitely a a big part of it, but yeah, I feel like the athletes too. I know this might be, it's kind of on topic, but I feel like the athletes are getting crazier like you look at some of these guys like Mm -hmm. i know i've now that i've been around for such a long time i've known Mm -hmm. guys since they were kids and seeing how they grow up and how just strong they are and how big they are and how much knowledge they already have so Mm -hmm. i think like who knows what can really happen Mm -hmm. in the next 10 years five years 15 years i mean look at a guy like thor look at the Mm -hmm. look Mm -hmm. at Nikki Ryan. And it's mm-hmm. like, you look at these guys, like, you know what I'm saying? They were kids and now how big they're getting and how good they mm-hmm. are. I feel like it's just, 
it's endless. You know, guys are going to keep coming up with moves and it's just going to keep expanding. So you're still experimenting with jujitsu a lot? Yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. I feel like now that I've retired from competing, mostly I'm looking into trying to be the best coach I can be for our guys. And mm. you know, we got a, a lot of high level guys now yeah. training with us, people coming down and looking for knowledge from us to help them out. And they're already mm-hmm. good, or we're just creating people from scratch like Grace and, and Thor and just, you know, and they believe in, they really trust in me. So I'm making sure that I go back and rewatch matches. Like that's important. That, a lot of my guys, they don't really like to watch the other guy and psych themselves out. They'd rather have just their coach, me or JM or one of the guys go and watch videos. Like, you know, Thor is a match coming up. He's going against um, a really good IBJJF guy, you know, not really into leg locks, but you know, he's, he's aware of them. So, you know, we're just coming up with different strategies for, you know, how are we going to beat this guy if we can't get him with the main stuff? Like we have mm. to have, sometimes it's less moves and it's more strategies. Like I'm really into that too. I like coming up with strategies, especially for, you know, like ADCC where it's like an interesting points situation where it's three point points or, you know, it's sub only then it's points. Like, so I'm always looking into, you know, just the way the guys approach the game or just mm-hmm. if there's moves out there that I don't know that I can, you know, I'll see him and be like, oh no, like this, like I just purchased a new Faraz Sahabi who is GSP's jiu-jitsu coach. He's a black belt yeah. under John Donner. Faraz, I, I, I uh, he trains a lot of the guys, uh, TriStar Gym, really good jiu-jitsu players like Ethan Krellenstein and, you know, all the guys out of there. And well, I buy all of his stuff, you know, 30 bucks for like a DVD on front headlocks, uh, yeah. an online DVD. I'm like, that's business expense right there. Yeah. yeah, I get that. And then I just, it's like, it's like adding moves like the matrix and mm-hmm. you know, maybe they aren't moves that I'll do necessarily, but mm-hmm. like my guy, John might do them or grace. I'd be like, Oh man, this fits right into your, you know, if I got a wrestler and, and I see some front headlock move, I'm like, this fits right into your, your game. Let me just put this right in. So, you know, mm-hmm. those guys, like they're working out all the time. Some of them have full-time jobs. They don't have time to sit around all day and watch matches, you know, and I'm yeah. just making that a part of my daily routine. Like that's what you do as a coach. I'd say if you're in, if you're coaching UFC, those guys are watching tape. Mm-hmm. So that's what I feel like I should be doing too. And it's been paying off for us too. Cause you know, you find little things like, Oh, this guy's good at a triangle. Like we're not going to obsess over what this guy does. We're going to try to play our game. But if this guy's good at a triangle or this guy has a good arm bar, we want to know that. Like, we don't want to get hit by their trick move just because we didn't do the research, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm always looking into it. Curious if there are things that you've watched or studied and you're like, you know what, this doesn't work. Or is that highly individualized? Some moves, I feel like I'll look at it once. And um, I've done this with so many moves. I'll look at it once and be like, I don't really like that. Or I think that's not going to work. And then maybe Mm. like months down the road, I'll kind of see it again and be like, Mm. all right, actually, maybe this might work. So I try really to have an open mind on them because sometimes moves, there were moves that I used to, like when I was a kid, like a headlock, for instance, I used to really talk about just not headlocking someone, you know, and like being Mm -hmm. on the ground and giving up an underhook where you could possibly get your back taken. But if you really understand how to headlock somebody and hold them so they can't get up and you understand what they could do to you and the counters, like that saying, at first you got to know the rules. And then after you know the rules, then you can start to break them in certain situations because you understand what the risks are. Like, you know, we have one guy who's a wrestler, he'll grab you in the headlock and just pull your head up and, and tap you with chest, chest pressure. When I was a kid, I would be like, that's, that's a big guy move. Screw that. You know, but now I'm like, okay, don't, ever let that guy just don't let anyone get you in the headlock. You either got to counter it quick 
But I'll even do that now. If I'm bigger than somebody, which is very rare, but if I am, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just grab their head and, you know, so that's like a move that I, that's a move where I would have, uh, for years, I probably would have downplayed that move or just not even explained it to people. And, but now I'm like, sometimes, and I see it go through people's head when I show them that and they're like, you know, my coach has always been telling me never give up an underhook. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, but believe me, I know a guy that will pull you out with this move. If you let him, you know, if you don't tap, you'll pass out. So I'm like, man, that's, there's something to it. So like every mm-hmm. move is, is relative, I think. And, you know, it's, it's possible. There are things that I see a lot of people do things that I could never do. But I, I want to teach them, though, because yeah. different people do different things. So I, like I'll, I'll teach them. They'll be like, well, do you ever do that move? I'm like, no, but you might. You know, there's so many guys have different body types where they'll never be able to do some of the things that I can do. And I can't do what they can do. So that sounds incredibly open minded. Is that like yeah. something? You just like culturally came up with you, you know, because a lot of academies sometimes, you know, they're very kind of fixed. They have a fixed mindset in terms of, you know, hey, this is we don't do that here or something. You know what I mean? I think people only say they don't do that here if it doesn't serve them in a certain way. Like if they're like, oh, don't do that. It's because they probably don't know it. Like we've been to I'm not going to name the gyms, but we, Mm -hmm. you know, me and JM will roll to every gym and just go in and try to roll with guys and, you know, Mm -hmm. get our ass kicked. Sometimes we do really good. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we put people in moves and the guy would be like, Hey, you know, he'd have a guy in a full electric chair and he'd be like, Hey, don't do that move. Mm. And he's like, why? And he's like, cause he doesn't know it. And he's like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's why it's, that's why it's working because he yeah. doesn't know the move. And they're yeah. like, well, I can blow his knee out. I'm like, well, in general, it never happens to us, but it might happen to you because you're not familiar with it. And that's why leg locks can be dangerous for people who don't know them. You right. know, you might turn the wrong way. Same with an arm bar. If I'm putting someone in an arm bar and they don't never been arm bar before, they're not gonna know how to escape or know when to tap. So yeah. it's the same with same I feel with leg lock. So I feel like a lot of academies are like that. I think I really got that from I, I'm sure I've learned that uh just from Eddie Bravo and and he probably would tell you he learned that from John Jock. You know, a lot of guys didn't like what Eddie was doing and like the moves he was doing, but John Jock always always encouraged him. Mm-hmm. And he would say, you know, yeah, yeah, no, keep doing that. And he would say, well, what about this, John Jock? And he would say, well, here's what could happen. But, you know, hey, you can do this. So if you watch a lot of Eddie's style, all the overhook style, all the butterfly sweeps, the rubber guard, the truck, all this stuff, you can see how it formulated the 10 planet mm-hmm. style. The original 10 planet style came from John Jock style and it just filtered in. And then from Eddie, like, I'm not going to do every move that Eddie Bravo does, but I like a lot of moves that he, that he does. And, you know, rubber guard, everybody does differently. There are rubber yep. guard players that are like Ben Eddie and Boogeyman Martinez and JM yeah. home who they're different than and Jeremiah Vance. They're different than totally what I would do, but mm-hmm. they're still playing rubber guard. And Eddie, he might not do any of that. He just does the traditional, what he used to do, you right. know, what you would be traditional rubber guard style or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, they kind of just, you know, he's always, and Eddie never told us to, don't do leg locks or, you know, or John Jock never said, you know, don't do leg locks. He would always tell you, don't just do leg locks. You got to have the full game, you know, just have be, and you know, Tiger Shulman's back in the day was like that too. I mean, for him to bring in other instructors to teach him grappling, you had to have an open mind. Cause that was, that was a no go. You would never let, you would never give anyone else any credit as an instructor right. back in the day. Like they're no, no one's any good. Hey, only right. you, you're the only one that can give the information and be like, well, where did you get it from? <laughs> you yeah. know, like I pretty much everything there are, like, I, I have some moves that I'm, I'm sure that are specific to me, but most mm-hmm. of the moves I've taught, I've got from someone else. I think everybody's mm-hmm. done that, you know? So it's always funny when, you know, there's a new name or whatever. And that's yeah. the, whatever a teen I'm like, everyone's done a guillotine. Yeah, yeah. How you do it. So what are the games and the techniques you enjoy playing? 
when I was a kid, and I think when you first start really getting good at jujitsu, you like yeah. to play guard. Everyone likes to wow. be on their back and play guard because yeah. some people, you know, yeah, some yeah. people like because because triangles. I mean, for me, I teach a lot of kids classes still, and um, the little kids they get good at. For me, they get good at guard first, and I feel like that's where you would be in a self defense situation first. Someone tackled you down. You're going to get your guard and guard recovery good. If someone tackled you down and threw your legs aside, try to get him mount, you need to recover guard and then triangles, arm bars, or sweep them and get on top. So I always teach guard first most of the time, unless you're like some big monster guy where I'm just like, okay, it might be better. And you're a wrestler. It's going to be tough. But even then, even those guys, I try to teach them guard first. I'm like, you already got the top. I want you to learn how to fight off your back because that's the worst position you can be in. And mm-hmm. if you if you can figure that out, then eventually the rest of it to me gets easier, you know, mm-hmm. as you go along. So, but I still like playing guard, although it's gotten harder over the years because everyone knows everything. So it's like you really got to get tricky. When there was only a couple of moves, and I was up on jujitsu more than other people, it was easy to you know put people in triangles. It was fun, you know. But nowadays, like it's got to be like a ten step process to just get someone in a triangle. Yeah, that's really good. So tough. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like now that I'm not competing, I do like chokes is my favorite, probably my favorite submission. My best moves got to be an arm triangle for sure. I like the standard mm-hmm. arm triangle from Mount, but wow. some guys are big, so it's hard to do like we're naked yeah. choke too, but I always feel like chokes to me. And, and I'm lately I've been really into guillotines. <laughs> I've gotten into like just getting, you know, somehow oh, yeah. getting a guillotine. It's like, if you face a guy who's a leg locker, or if you face a guy who has a certain style, guys can take damage and leg attempts and guys can take damage and arm bars, but chokes are, that's it. Yep. You know, you finish the choke, they go to sleep, you won. So yeah. I really feel like that's what I've enjoyed lately is just trying to choke people. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I want to talk to you about is um, competitions in terms of your coaching. Because I've watched some of the competitions of Grace and oh, yeah. You've got a monster team, by the way. I just will put that out there. We'll talk about these people soon because Grace and Thor are incredible and uh, you guys produce crazy talent. But your coaching style, I found very interesting. Hearing you on the sideline, you sound very calm and very strategic, as you mentioned before, in terms of what you're saying versus a lot of coaches I hear yelling and they're just like, "Ah!" and you take quite a different approach. And I'm curious, what does a training camp look like to you? And what does competition day look like to you? I feel like all of our guys are different. Like, and that's kind of like what I'm learning now that I'm really getting into coaching as opposed to just being the player coach all the time where I was always there competing Mm. and having the coach at the same time, which Mm. is a lot harder to do. But now that I'm just really trying to transition into just coaching, training camp, we're working hard. Pretty much the guys that are competing for us are always training. Most guys, like they're not just chilling and then just get a match and then have to throw it into overdrive in a month. Most of the guys that compete for us are always training, getting ready, like Mm. not going 100%, but like, you know, you're training, you're just doing your everyday, you're doing your strength conditioning, you're doing your cardio work, and then you're training your technique and then rolling however, you know, depending on how old you are. I always say how many times you're going to be rolling during the week. And then you're just getting ready, getting ready. And then when the opportunity comes, you don't have to get ready. You're already ready. Now we just throw it in a little bit of overdrive. Now we're getting big, a lot bigger matches, but opportunities for us would Mm -hmm. come off a last minute replacement. So Mm. we used to, we had a joke for a while. We would say, Betham says yes, because every time they, (laughs) someone would fall out, they'd be like, yo, 
who you got? Wait, you know, mm-hmm. save the day or whatever. So that's one thing where I'm just having the guys like, yo, you guys got to stay in shape, ready to go. So that way in a couple of weeks, if something happens, you're ready to rock. And then generally the last week is just tapering down, stretching, still drilling and just kind of going over specifics of like, hey, like I said, you know, I'm not going to put in a guy's mind like, hey, well, let's, we got to watch out. You know, if you keep thinking leg lock, you leg lock, leg lock, you're going to end up in the leg lock. Instead, mm-hmm. it's just, the, you know, the last couple of days, we'll just go over a specific defense real quick. Like, hey, just this guy's good at triangles. Don't worry about it. But just in case, here's one or two things, you know, we're going to look at, you know, and then we might have been training specifically for a certain rule set anyways, but we're generally always ready. You know, we have, might have a couple of like go-to things that we're thinking, you know, like if it's a real big match, like, hey, let's keep this in mind or whatever. But for the most part, we're just kind of like tapering off at the end of the week. And then mm. game day, I, everybody's different. I mean, there are guys that want to wake up late, sleep all day, and then just show up 10 minutes before. Some guys want to be going all day, so they're not thinking about it. So I kind of just let everybody do their own thing. You know, we always get like a good warm up in where I just, either me or JM or whoever's there, we just are like the punching bag for the other guy, like jujitsu dummy, just mm. roll in and letting him tap you and like going and just letting him. Like we train Grace, it's easy because I just, I'll roll with her as a warm up for like 15 minutes. And I could tell she's like put it into like next. She's ready to go. So I don't want to mm. like go too hard. So we just get a real nice warm up, go over some specifics and, you know, kind of like, uh, a good point guard would be in basketball, just feeding it to him. I'm just mm-hmm. feeding him arm bar, triangle, you know, all your positions, like a pass. Like I put up a little fight, give it to him, and then just make him feel good right before. And then, yeah, during the match, like me and JM, when we coach, usually we're together. Um, mm-hmm. And even when I'm by myself, I kind of do the same thing. Like if you're one of my guys or one of our guys, or you train with us all the time, I feel like, you know, I have the most experience, me and JM, but like the other guys, like even them, most of our guys can coach our other guys because, and coach our kids because it's not just the moves, but they know, if you're training with us all the time, you're probably going to know at least a specific group of things that we can coach you. Like you're a blue belt, you might not have everything yet, but you got the idea. So now it's not, I can't coach you in the middle of a match, like grab his left arm and do this with your wrist or take your left leg. And most of the time I'm just encouraging. You know, and I don't know if you could hear that in the thing, but I'm just like, good, Grace, very mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. You know, yes, keep going. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And just try to, like I, you know, I probably stole that from John Jock too. Like he won't give mm-hmm. specifics, but like if you really want to hear some cool coaching is mm-hmm. go and listen to John Jock coach Eddie Bravo at Metamoris against Hoyler Gracie too. And just listen to him from the side and you're just like, because he doesn't say much, but he doesn't need to say much. It's mm-hmm. like, say less, but just inch by inch, Eddie, play your game. Do your thing, like just encourage mm-hmm. him. You already know. Know your game. Do mm-hmm. your thing. You know, so it's like you're just encouraging him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're encouraging him. Every now and then you got to be like, hey, let's not let him put his arm on your hip or not let him put mm-hmm. his hand on your hip anymore. Let's stop doing that. You know, like yep. maybe you have to tell him something like that. But it's always got to be all encouragement because if you yep. give someone some any type of negative feedback while they're in there fighting for their life, you know, which it feels like that. Sometimes you're just going to put their head into a, a spot during a mm-hmm. match that you don't want it to be in, you know? Like information to, overload or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or they're just going to get frustrated. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're telling them to do something, they can't do it. You got to stick with the encouragement and just keep them. Let's go. You got this. Let's go. You got two minutes. Let's do mm-hmm. this. You know, it's always got to be like, thing because that's, that's what works for me. Some people don't really want you to say much. 
but I kind of just played off them. But I just always encouraging, you know. And, yeah, I found that interesting because I heard you often uh, giving options too. Like you yeah. can go here, you can go there. You know, we got Swedish here, we got that there. And then another thing I remember hearing you say too was, um, "Watch out, they're looking to do this, or they're looking yeah, to yeah. do that." So that preventative type of stuff too, which was surprisingly spot on, because then the the person actually went into the next type of position that you called. So it was very nice. interesting. That's good. (laughs) And also too, you know what, um, helps sometimes like it also gets more into the opponent's head. I've already watched like 15 of their matches and I'm just like, okay, she's looking, you know, she wants to get your knee on the match. She can try to pull that other leg through. And then in their head, they're like, damn it. I don't know if that gives them think like, oh, maybe I'll have to do something different that I wouldn't normally do. Or they know they already prepared for this. And then the options part, I always feel that too is, you're the competing, you only know what's going to be possible. Like I could be yelling, go for this, but it's just in your head or just your body just don't want to do it. You're just not feeling it for some reason, or you feel Mm -hmm. like the guy might be setting you up. Then it's like, Hey, whatever one you want, you got to check, you got choices here. You can take which one and go from there. Fascinating. The mental game too, how you factor that in as well, because you have become another sort of factor in the game itself, the coach. Yeah. It's annoying. I don't want to be too involved in it, but it Mm -hmm. is annoying when the other guy's doing it to us too, like, they're like, I don't want to get frustrated and get mad, you know, cause of you're almost not. like dueling back and forth. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, I've, I've had people on a lot of the YouTube videos, like some of the comments be like, I wish the guys would just shut up on the side or, <laughs> or uh, I wish uh, I'd love to see her try to do it without the coach. I'm like, well, yeah. that's what are you talking about? Like, I'd love to see the NFL guys do without the coach. It's not the whole point is you're allowed to have a coach. You know, it would be interesting maybe if he didn't have a coach, but I think people would do the same thing. But since we're there, we're just going to try to encourage them. You know, that's the whole point. We work for, I want to see if they could do it without the coach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got several questions I want to ask you about 10th Planet Bethlehem and, and uh, Allentown, I suppose, too. And so how'd you develop such a top-notch competitive team at these academies? And can you talk about Grace Gundrum? And can you talk about Thor, John? Yeah. And there's several questions here. Does everyone at, at the academies compete or is, is, is there still a place for the hobbyist? Yeah. Um, what's yeah, your philosophy in terms of running an academy? It's a lot of stuff. So I'll just I'll yeah, yeah. run through it if we forget any of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just keep knocking them out. Yeah. And I, I love these questions too, because uh, you know, a lot of people, I think they think one thing and I've even, I try not to look at the blogs and stuff, but sometimes people will be like, Oh, that place is, you know, I've even seen guys will screen cap things and send me on Reddit. Like, it's a war zone over there or something like that. Or Mm, people say mm. stuff like that. It's like so far from the truth. I teach a lot. I teach three kids classes a week. You know, I teach a lot of kids classes and they're, some of the kids are really good. Like, you know, we got Matt Bam Bam and we got a bunch of kids that are are really tough too, but uh, it's kind of tough to understand the competing at first for us because me and JM, we always competed because competition Mm -hmm. was always part of it. We always liked to do it. Plus it lets you know what's for real and what's working. And I always feel like once you start competing, you'll always get followers. Even if you're like doing okay, people are like, oh, that guy's always at the competition. And mm-hmm. then when we started teaching, we just kept competing because we figured that was the way to getting our next belt, you know, getting belted mm-hmm. faster. And then also making ourselves known enough in jujitsu where we would have a, a famous academy and have 
group of guys and be able to make a living off of it. You know, at first I was just happy with living in the back of the place, but now after a while, it's like, wow, we're really doing, we're really doing good. And you know, why don't we just keep running with it and see where it goes? Because me and JM used to compete all the time and Grace, she came into it with us. She was competing right away too. And um, she was already competing when she trained at, she trained at Tiger Showman's also for a while and grappled over there and was already pretty Uh good. And she liked doing the competitions. And then since we did it, other people, I think, just wanted to follow in our footsteps. So it was more of a, you know, we were leading by example, even though we, we never once to this day told anyone to compete. I may have tried to get Thor once to, but I never go out and say like, hey, you guys should go to the competition. Hey, there's a competition coming up. Like I do let people know and I give our guys credit and the kids, but most of the time it's the parents asking me because they might come from youth sports. So they're used to, yo, all right, so we're doing all this practice. Where's the game? And I don't tell them, but the game is actually being able to protect yourself and be healthy. That's the game. Right. But like, right. yeah, if you want to do competitions and stuff, that's cool too. And I even mm-hmm. think some of the kids' parents are like, wow, you guys, all these medals and you guys are the straight crazy competitors, but it's not just about that. Like it's about, you know, it's about defending yourself. It's about getting in shape. It's about the camaraderie of the place and having somewhere to go where, you know, it's not all this crazy shit that's going on in the world is going on at our place. Cause we try to keep all that out of there. So there's a lot of guys, predominantly most of the people at our school don't compete. Maybe, maybe even 250 combined. And mm-hmm. maybe we have 60 that compete, mm-hmm. but they're known a lot of the guys who do compete and the guys who do compete, they compete a lot. And there are a lot of guys at our school, though, that maybe competed once or twice mm-hmm. and then just wanted to do it because everyone else was doing it. Maybe they just wanted to see how they felt and jumped mm-hmm. in. And Grace, she just we just kept working with her and working with her, and she just kept knocking things off. All right, win this tournament, win that tournament. Mm-hmm. All right, we lost this way. Let's figure this one out. Let's add more stuff. And we just kept going with her until she's where she's at now. And Thor, for instance, like I, I may have said, like, hey, you should do a competition. You would do good. And he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to compete. He wasn't wow. really interested in competing at first and said he was kind of nervous and he just wanted to do it for fun. And that was it. And then I think he might've even uh, not backed out, but he might've even wanted to do a competition and couldn't do it for some reason. And, you know, I was like, ah, all right, well, next time. But I'd always think like, cause I've seen so many guys come through the Academy that I'm like, this guy would be a beast, but they got to want to be a beast. Mm-hmm. I can't tell them to do it. I could teach them all these moves, but to mm-hmm. wake up early and train hard and then, you know, have the mentality to go to the competition and, and be good at it and, mm-hmm. you know, have insurance because you might get hurt at a competition. You have a real job. You're working at, a, you know, Verizon or working at a grocery store and you have a, a torn ACL. That's not good. So, like, it's like a mix. So, that's why I never tell anybody, like, yo, do this tournament and then your shoulder mm-hmm. gets torn off. You know what you're doing by going into it. I'm not saying, hey, do it. I always tell people, too, when they ask, I'm like, go watch first. Go watch a few go pick your tournament. All right, I'm 30 to 39 blue belt. I'm going to go watch the 30 to 39 year old blue belts go at it. And if I look at that and say, I could kill these guys, I'm going to go in it. Or if you watch it and say, dang, I need work. Like, that's crazy. I'm not ready for this. Then you go back and you train more of your academy. You don't have to worry about it. And like, as for ranking people too, big misconception, they asked me, they were really interested in that. One of the podcasts I was on, we don't rank people off their competitions. You're a blue belt, you're out there and you're demolishing purple belts. Like you're just competing every weekend and you're just taking out purple and brown belts and you're doing good against black belts. And I have a hard time tapping you at the school. I'm like, wow, this guy's a purple belt. Like I'm not going to give it to them in a month after they got their blue belt, but they might get it a little bit faster than someone who is just training. That being said, me and JM have ranked probably six black belts now. A couple that got like Thor and Grace and Gabe, he runs 10th Planet Miami now. 
And uh, Chris Hendricks runs a uh, Tenth Planet in North Carolina, and they compete. They used to compete. Some of them don't compete anymore. And then Greg and Matt, they've competed. Greg and uh, Matt are older guys and they're black belts under us and they've been training forever. And they've done a few competitions back in the day, but it's not their main thing. And mm-hmm. they're black belts. So it, it didn't really weigh on when I was going to give them their black belt. They have the understanding and you know we kind of grade people uh, against themselves and against who you would go against. Like if you're 25 and you want to be a black belt at our school, whew, good luck. You know what I mean? You're 25 years old. That's going to be a tough one. And you've mm-hmm. only been training for five years. You're, you're going to, it's going to take you a while, you know, mm-hmm. but if you're in your forties and you know, you're doing this and your job during the day is selling insurance, you know, I don't need you to be able to beat 25 year old black belts. You just, would you beat yourself? Hell yeah. Would you beat another guy that's your age that doesn't know anything? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's kind of how we like to grade the people. So as I think that really has helped us at the academy with being honest with the guys and just keeping it real. Great philosophy. It has nothing to do with the competition. So that's all good. And I love that, you know, and it makes our, and we love doing it. It's fun. And now Mm -hmm. that we're having success, it's, it's only bringing more guys that want to do it and more guys that want to work hard and everything like that. So now it just keeps going. So I'm just going to keep riding it until, you know, until everybody stops and then I won't do it anymore. I'm just having so much fun too. So it makes it even better. Do you have like a separate competition class? Because when I was looking at the schedule of one of your academies, I didn't see it. I saw the the basics class and I thought there'd be like a ton of competition schedule. Do you, do you segment that off? Like, so some of the bigger guys need more room, like, like John, uh, he's huge. So, and yeah. um, you know, we have a couple of guys uh, and, you know, even uh, big Ryan, uh, you know, if, if your name is big, anything. Yeah. Because yeah. some days on a Wednesday, like our place isn't that big. We might have 30 people in class. So some of the guys, they have a hard time. But, you know, those days awesome. they treat it as more technique. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're big with, like I said, with even with the big guys. Like, and that's why Thor's so dangerous because he plays guard. He's a big guy who wrestled. And yeah. you would think that he would just be blasting through guys with doubles and everything, but he could play the whole game. And that's yeah. the difference. A lot of the bigger guys that can play the ground game you know, or the, the, you know, play off your back if you have to, it's not your main option, but if you do, you're going to have butterfly sweeps and leg locks and elevations and all this other stuff. A lot of the guys, we focus a lot on technique. You're on your own to do your cardio though. Like you do jujitsu for cardio. Sure. Some guys like to do that, but Mm -hmm. you're on your own to do strength and conditioning. We tell the guys Mm -hmm. like you should be running sprints. You should be running hill sprints. You should be doing swimming or whatever it is you got to do. We have a, one of those fan bikes in the back. Like, if you're competing, I'll let you use that. But it's kind of on your own to do your cardio. We don't have time. We only have so much time a week to get in the techniques and get the actual rolling in. And then if you're working takedowns, that's another thing. So we don't really section it off. But now, you know, years ago, with just only time anybody was at the school was during class. There was a class going on. Now I was there this morning teaching a private lesson. The place was packed. You know, there was like people on the back mat doing kickboxing privates. There were people doing boxing privates. There are people just coming in and lifting weights at the little weight area that we have in the back. So people are addicted to getting good now. And, you know, we don't have to like have like a specific class. Like every class is kind of like competition class, but it's on yourself. Like I'm not forcing a guy that's doing it as a hobby to roll a million rounds. But the truth is the guys that are the hobbyist guys are the ones that are usually getting the guys ready that are going out for the competitions. Because, you know, not every competition guy is rolling with every competition guy. Sometimes you need to get your work in. And some of Thor's best training partners don't compete. You mm-hmm. know, they're just beasts at the gym, right. you know, and, that, and that's the way it is at Marcelo's. You go up to Marcelo's, 
they might have like an advanced two class where it's it's heavier because they got more time and more space. But you go up to Marcelo's, the the pros are training right in with the the guys, you know, and mm-hmm. the pros got to, it keeps the pros honest because, you know, I might have a teenager that, you know, is pretty tough coming after one of my pro guys. You got to be ready to rock. You know, you got to be ready to take the guys on, especially mm-hmm. if you're competing. But we have, I mean, there's women, kids, like we have everybody and we just treat everybody the same. Some of the guys want to go harder, they go harder. And then we have specific other times that we don't have on a schedule for like MMA training when the guys can spar hard and stuff and they're not like knocking each other's heads. Those are the guys that just want to fight. And that's a different breed of animal. I let those guys come in different time. And then Nate Thor does ADCC training on Sundays, which probably also isn't on the schedule. And that's for like the real pro pro guys that are like 180 and above. I don't even go to that one. I'm like, you guys go ahead throw each other around. All good. So we kind of keep it a set, like not really separate. Most of the guys are training together, but there are like maybe one or two times that they come in. Okay, Zach, so you got, I mean, you got a ton of stuff going on. Your link yeah. tree that I was looking at is just, it's crazy. It's out of control. So you have, <laughs> I know. let's, let's <laughs> recap here for the people. You got two academies, which is yep. huge unto itself. You have a tournament, which seems to be various forms of a tournament called finishers. You have mm-hmm. a sub only type of thing. You have something called the open and God knows whatever, you know, other spinoffs of that that you have. And then you have instructionals on BJJ Fanatics. I love your material on Grappler's Guide. Nice, thank you. You have something else called Finishers TV, which I want you to talk about eventually too. And then the media that you produce too. You have a YouTube channel. You have a a fun podcast called Zach's Corner Podcast where you talk about pizza and farts. Yeah. And you have merchandise. And you guys seem to be like this marketing machine too. You know, a a lot of the content and the quality of the stuff that you put out is really top notch. How do you you find time for all of this? And have you always been the entrepreneurial type? I don't think I was at first, but um, once we got into this, like I said, at first we were just pumped to live at the school and just not have a real job. But then once we got deeper into it, I was like, man, you know, there's all these little hustles that you can do to make your life better. And it's easy and it's fun if you're creative, you know, if you want to be creative. And what I found is I'm good at certain things, but I'm terrible at other stuff. So the stuff that I'm not good at, I try to delegate or try to bring someone on that mutual thing that we can help each other with. You know, some of the guys start jujitsu and then they're paying for it. And then I just let them train for free. And then they help me in a different way. So we got Mm -hmm. Quentin, Ross, Mike Fauerbach. We got so many different guys that are we've either inspired or they're inspired by somebody else and they met us. And then it's just like a conglomerate of people working together. It is the coolest thing I've ever been a part of because it is just people hustling, working together. You know, my wife's getting involved with it too. Same thing. Like we want to open up a coffee shop. We're working on that. That's right. Yeah, I'm working on, I'm trying to work on that too. We have a couple different schools. Like the guys saw me and JM do it and they knew that there was an opportunity for them and for it to expand the brand. So Thor, he wanted to quit his job. One of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the world. Boom. Mm-hmm. He's got a school. Our second black belt, Gabe, he wanted to move to Florida and open up 10th Planet Miami. And he did that. Boom. Now that's there. So like once you visualize these things, it can just keep coming. You know, and then we learn from other people. Like um, I learned a lot about the video stuff from BMAC. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I know you had Brandon McCaffron on the podcast from 10 yeah. Planet Decatur. And that guy, same thing. He's a machine of, yeah. of stuff coming out. So I learned yeah, a lot from totally. him just watching his video stuff. And like the more mm-hmm. professional the video stuff looks, the better it's going to do sales wise, you know? And, yeah. you know, I, I, I didn't want to feel cheesy just selling crap all the time, but it's good stuff. I feel like I stand by the stuff that we sell 
the quality of the, the gear that we sell. Same with the, um, the instructionals, like we're putting out our best stuff. We're doing the research, like we have the time to do it. So I really, you know, like I said, I stand by it. So it's not cheesy. It doesn't feel cheesy for me to sell it. And I haven't had one person be like, this sucks or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's like, wow, this is really good stuff. Or, you know, you guys are bringing it across. Cool. So doing that, like, and it's just same thing, just reaching out to people, meeting people. And um, I forget who we, we met with BJJ Fanatics, how we did that. But I ended up teaching a seminar at Travis Stevens place. So we were doing that. Then we filmed mm-hmm. those and then they don't have like a compete thing. And they said, Hey, you can do whatever you want. So we figured, Hey, this is a good time. We'll start our own streaming thing that costs a couple bucks a month. And then we put our own videos on there and um, we have a couple guys, Preet and uh, Quentin, they just film class randomly with GoPro or my a really good iPhone and then sure. we just upload it. So people who live in, like I got a friend, one of my guys who's in the military in Japan, he's mm-hmm. watching it over there. He's learning, it's like he's in wow. class with us. So we're trying to stay up on that. And then the, like the gear, I just met different companies and would become friends with a guy like Ryan from Cruise Combat. Me and him have been working together forever. And now he is, uh, you know, me and him collab on a lot of different gear. And he's making money, we're making money, and the people are still getting good stuff. And they love it. They love the, the, the way the gear looks. So we're like, hey, let's keep running with it. Now we got a little shop going that makes us extra cash every month. And the people love the stuff. And I figured to myself, why am I wearing a whatever t-shirt, an arrow, yeah. you know, I don't even know, or whatever. I should be wearing my own stuff. Like this is one of our designers. That's, That's the other awesome. thing. We met these designers, like uh, Ted Park. He actually designs a whole bunch of stuff for um, Fuji. And uh, he's the man. He designed the t-shirt for the Korean zombie t-shirt, yeah. which is really cool. Uh, UFC is. fighters. We work with Ted. We have another guy, Ashan, that I met. We work with this guy and he just pumps out flyers and and promotional material and stuff. And people like that. They see it. You know, Instagram's free. I got a couple people helping me with that. And it's just another way to get the word out. It is pretty crazy though. Yeah, we're busy. (laughs) I know. You're you're, you're you're totally crazy. So can you talk about the tournaments, finishers? Yeah. So actually we have another tournament coming up, the finishers open four. So the open is, uh, you know, we started the finishers tournament right around when Eddie Bravo started EBI and Mm. it was his idea. He was like, you know, 16 man tournament sub only for money. Now they have a bunch of sponsors. We just said, Hey, listen, we'll have everybody throw in a hundred bucks that competes and then we'll do two different weight classes. And then whoever wins gets the money. And then, you know, we'll create an Instagram and blow it up, you know, and mm-hmm. try to make everybody because I felt like the West Coast for a long time was getting all these different opportunities, but, but the East yeah. Coast was not. So yeah. I was like, man, we got to create our own tournament. And then yeah. it was also our way to promote our own guys. So now we're promoting our own brand and yeah. we're, we're highlighting our own students. So that's how we get them to the next level. And actually, I read uh, Conor McGregor. I forget his coach's name, but Conor McGregor's coach. Look him up. Uh, I've read a lot of books now. That SPG I, I guy, yeah. remember the names of them. I know. I always forget um, his name, too. But anyways, read, read his coach's book. JM actually turned me on to that one. He knew he had something really good with Conor, and he knew he really had something good with some of the other fighters. But he didn't have anywhere to go with them and traveling across the country all the time or coming to America every time they needed to fight amateur or whatever is just going to be too much. So they created their own league. You know, John Kavanaugh. Uh, his name is John Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Yeah, there it is. Kavanaugh. He just started his own league and that's Conor McGregor became famous in his own league in his coaches league. So that's what I felt like the finishers tournament was like, we were able to put JM in it. I put Thor, uh, his first, he won the finishers won 
the first one we ever had was in uh, New Jersey and Thoris won his first match by heel hook and he was a blue belt at the time and his second match he went against Gordon Ryan and lost wow. by heel hook but wow. that's what I mean though that was able to give my guys experience that they wouldn't be able to have anywhere else they're good now we're and now it became we're in the mix with all the top guys and the guys know it's a way to get money and then we did uh so they're in it like hey let me win this money let me get the accolades real quick i won the title over here let me try to get this piggyback this to get to a bigger show we ended up having i think we're on number 13 is going to be the next pro yeah. one yeah. and uh the first 12 were great we even did a team one we had one where it was like everybody under 145, just like Quintet. We did that. It was the most, our most popular one. And I was able to feature Grace in, in like five or six different super fights. I put all my guys in. I was able to put all my guys in. And it really, uh, yeah, it just, it just catapulted us to the next level. Now it's super popular. Guys love it. And we started doing an open event where anyone could sign up. So it's white and blue belt and then purple, brown, black. And then we're doing another division for cash. So like you could sign up just basically, basically same idea that uh, the Grappler's Quest used to do back in the day. They'd have one pro division, anyone could throw money in and then they give $1,000 a winner. And then the rest of them, you get medals. And it's the same thing, another opportunity for our guys to practice sub only rules. And, and, you know, with the people like us, because I got all the guys that compete in these tournaments, refing at the, the matches too. So it ends awesome. up working out. Yeah, it's like basically our whole idea is we just create our own one. And I don't really care what everybody else is doing. We're just going to do our own thing. And, you know, we like everybody else too. And, we, and you see, we compete in all the other shows, but yeah. we run our own show too. Like I'm not trying mm -hmm. to compete with those shows. I want to work with them. And that's yeah. really helped us out big time because everyone likes us, which is cool. And they give us opportunities because they know we have other stuff going on. So what's your philosophy then when it comes to creating an ideal tournament? Is it finishers? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, and the cool thing about finishers, man, is like you could just, we could do whatever we want. Like yeah. once people realize there's no rules on it, you just family, change it up, your right? Thing. Yeah, we did the team one and people were like, what? How can you, uh, what are you doing a team one? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. We did one like during the lockdown with a couple of guys. Where yeah, we just called the lockdown. Yeah. I saw, I was reading yeah. that, yeah. All super Fantastic. fights. It was all yeah. super fights. Wow. Uh, so, and, you know, it was just all matches. And guys love it because they're getting working and that's what we're trying to do. And I feel like it's a great opportunity for guys trying to make a name for themselves to eventually get to, you know, and get experience, eventually get to ADCC or EBI or whatever other big show you're trying to get to, so. Mm-hmm. So let's wrap it up by focus on a couple of the, the stars that we've mentioned and their development and your coaching them. Let's start with Grace. How old was she when she started with you? Grace actually got her black belt at Tiger Shulman's when I think she was six years right. old, which is wow. pretty nuts. Yeah. That's crazy. So they, I don't even think they wanted to give her a black belt because, but she, you know, did all the requirements and she was killing it. So JM actually knew Grace before me and mm -hmm. he, she actually, uh, Grace trained under my first sensei, Sensei Villafan. And he actually competed back in the day in grappling tournaments too. But he, you know, right. we didn't get into grappling. He was a big Taekwondo guy back in the day, but he didn't get into grappling until he was already later in age. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh man, this sucks. If he would have learned, I really believe if he would have learned it years ago or if times would have been different, he would have been a beast because he's always been in great shape. But, uh, and he still grapples and stuff too. He, he stops by every now and then. But uh, so they had Grace for a while and um, Grace would do privates with JM and she didn't want to box at the time. She, cause they were to get to really train the Tigers, Tiger Shulman's, you had the box and grapple she just wow. wanted to grapple and there was no straight jujitsu schools around our area so when jm mm. met, and i knew him since he was a kid when we decided to finally start teaching at a place grace's mom mary joe she was like uh hey are you guys gonna have kids classes and jam was like are we gonna have kids classes 
was like, yeah, we probably should. I got a bunch of nieces and nephews. We'll jam them in. And that's how it started. So she came in one time and before a couple of classes, we would do a, like a joint private lesson with her and we would just mm. you know, work specific moves and show her different things. Like basically like adding moves to her, like the matrix. Now it got to the point where she knows everything and um, she's such an interesting mind that mm. she has an opportunity to take this as far as she wants. I mean, she's ranked number seven right now in the world and uh, she's facing Patty Fontes, who's like a multiple time world champion. Yeah. So we'll see if she beats her. I mean, you know, I think Grace is number one, but we'll see. I mean, she's only 18 years old, so um, she's bound to lose eventually. Uh, but hopefully not anytime soon. <laughs> How exciting, man. Um, so did yeah. you know day one that you saw her that she was a special athlete? Yeah, like I saw her she, when she came in and, and uh, the first time I ever trained with her, she came in into like an open role and I, you know, I, I rolled with her and I could just tell already, I was like, wow, she understands not just moves because like any kid I can get in guard and have them do a triangle on me, but she yeah. starts understanding like the meta of the game. Like, oh, oh, your arm's here. I can't do that. Like the little battles as like an eight-year-old kid, I was like, or not, I think she was like maybe eight or nine hmm. when I met her, I think. And she was just like all the little battles that like, uh, like Eddie Bravo said, she's got the game of like an adult. She has like, she's hmm. playing the game of like a, the way an adult black belt would. I think back then I just could tell she had like a mind for it. And then mm -hmm. during the, her competition phase in the beginning, we just kept running into little problems. Like, okay, a kid just holds her down. What are we going to do from this position? Or mm -hmm. I get to this spot and I can't. And we just kept coming up with different things. Like we were like, all right, what's a good submission that we could teach her that because she's facing boys, like that she could tap a boy at that wouldn't be that hard. I'm like, oh yeah, guillotine, high elbow guillotine. I just require much strength. So mm -hmm. boom, add that. Now she's good at guillotines. Now she's, you know, we're doing the lockdown game and we're playing that. And we just kept adding stuff. And then after like a couple of Naga tournaments, a couple of grapplers quests, I was like, man, she's, she's pretty good, man. Now we would tell Eddie Bravo and we would tell people like, we got this little girl, man. You're not going to believe how good she is. And people would be like, ah, she's a kid, you know, whatever. She'll quit. And then when Eddie gave her the chance at EBI three and she fought a girl that was bigger than her and was already like a kid's Pan Am champ and Grace had only been doing Naga. She never even did a super fight. And then Grace beat her in OT and yeah. it was just like a rocket ship up from there because people just loved her. And John Jock was there. Joe Rogan was there. Joey Diaz was there. So they all, everyone saw that. And it yeah. was like, you know, the clips online were huge at the time. And, and we just kept every time, like another opportunity, take it seriously, you know, and the way Grace is, she's, like I said, she's got like such an interesting mind for it that she's not going to, you know, she doesn't get psyched out or anything like that. I, I heard her tell someone once, they asked her, like, have, how much do you think about jujitsu when you're at home? And she said, never. She's wow. like, not really. Yeah, yeah. I've had people ask her, like, what's your favorite submission? You know, you do the dead orchard a lot. What do you think about that move? And she's like, I'm like, what's your favorite submission? You know, tell them. She's like, I don't mm. know. She's like, I just kind of take whatever is available. So yeah. she's not thinking like, oh, I'm going to go in there and get this guy in a choke, like how I might be thinking at. Like, she's just like, all right, like, I'm just going to go do jujitsu and whatever comes up, I'll take it. So Smart. she's like, I'm really master of all trades, you know? Wow. Yeah, it's just so cool. And then just every time, like, you know, another opportunity, another problem to solve. And she just keeps overcoming everything, which is really cool. So we had our sights set on ADCC for her to compete in the divisions there, but it got shut down now or pushed off because the refs couldn't make it into the country or whatever. So uh -huh. she's got a big, this big super fight. So we'll just keep taking super fights with whoever. 
with John, with Thor. He seems to be like a, almost like the opposite in a way, in terms of body type anyway. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. physically, he's a specimen, right? And mm. just so powerful, so strong. Can you talk about, you know, when you first saw him and, and as you said, you were encouraging him to compete and things like that. So he wrestled in high school. Interesting fact about him is uh, his wrestling style is a little bit different, though. He's more of like a reversal type guy. Like he's not a good shoot for a double guy. He's more of a reversal. He told me that he uh, set the record once in high school for takedowns for the year. And um, he only ever shot once. So it was all like reversal. So he has like an interesting wrestling style, which he learned that from when he was a kid. And his dad taught him his work ethic. And he's just like, you know, waking up early, like working, doing a full-time job and working out and just eating. Like he's very meticulous with his work, like keeps track of all this food, keeps track of what he eats and everything. So like, he's like a scientist when it comes to that. Wow. And then, you know, when he came to jujitsu, like the, one of our guy, uh, his name is Andrew Jones. He's our manager at 10 Planet Bethlehem. He handles all the signups and all that stuff. And he actually brought John, him and his brother, Kevin, the Jones brothers, we call him. They, he actually brought uh, John Thor Blank into our school when we were at our old, our, at our old location. They were like, they came in and they were like, Hey man, I got this one guy. He could be really good. You just, I remember Andrew telling me this too. Like, he's like, this guy could be next level. You just got to, we just got to get him in here. And they were looking for a place too. And there might've been some gi back in the day, but he didn't want to do gi because a guy like that, like he wants to wrestle. He wants to do like a more UFC style stuff. And they were big UFC fans. And I think he just wanted to do it at, for fun. But once I saw him, I was like, it's like getting like a Ferrari. You just got gifted like a, a superb athlete. The same with Grace, like because of her flexibility and her mindset, it's almost like I could show him moves. Now, big credit to John is um, a lot of big guys don't want to listen. They want to fight like a big guy. And right. John said, hey, let me learn the stuff that I'm probably, I'm already probably good at smashing people and being a big guy. Why don't I use technique? Something that Joe Rogan always says that I always quote from him is like, if you want to learn jujitsu and you're a big guy, learn it from a small guy because he's constantly has to fight with people bigger than him. You know? And then if you learn how to go to roll like us, because when you watch John, he's very flexible. He's very strong, but he uses it in certain situations. You know, he's learned how to conserve his energy and um, he can do some flexible shit that nobody else can do. Most people can't do. And because he has such an open mind, like I, I was going to say credit to him for having such an open mind and learning from me and JM being very small guys, mm. he learned how to roll like that. He learned all the different techniques as opposed to going, nah, I don't need that. Nah, I don't need that. He wanted to learn all the stuff. And now, same thing. He's got like a killer repertoire. He might only finish guys with certain moves because they keep giving it to him, but he's got a full range of moves, tip wrestling, takedowns, leg locks, arm bars, triangles. He could do everything. And that's what really makes him dangerous. You know, same with Grace. They're not just like, oh, I got this one move. Like you might see leg lock or Thor leg lock a lot of guys. It's just because it's easy. You know, he could get it to him so fast, you know, but he's got a full range of moves. He's got everything. So, you know, there's yeah. something to be said about being coachable, man. That's so huge, you know. Exactly. Because there have been a lot of guys that have come through that have had maybe not as big and strong as him or maybe not as flexible, but definitely have had opportunity where I could have – I look at even kids, like little kids, where I'm like, dude, mm -hmm. you could be so mm -hmm. good, but I don't want to push them too much because it's really up to them. They got to want to do it. If you push them too much, they don't make it. It's like a fail. And yeah. I'd rather have them say, hey, I'm going all in on this. And then I'll give you, if you do that, then I'll always give them everything I got. Let the uh, listeners know where they can get more information about you and your, your slew of projects that you have going on and uh, <laughs> things. 
Yeah. So if you want to, you know, probably the best is just follow me on Instagram. That's where we post everything. You could follow our school at 10 planet, uh, 10 P Bethlehem on Instagram. You know, websites are cool too. I have a website, uh, zachmaslany.com, but um, you can get a hold of me there. But Instagram is the easiest. If you DM me on there, I check that at least once or twice a day. And then, like you said, link in the bio there, that's pretty much everything. But if you just search, go online, just search finisher sub only, search finishers everything. And, you know, all of our stuff usually comes up. We're definitely not afraid to put ourselves out there and try to keep going with the best. So I really appreciate you having me, man. And, you know, like if you want to talk more, I'd love to come back on anytime. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for watching, listening out there. I am Adolfo Ferranda. You know us, Forever White Belt Show on Instagram. Check us out everywhere and all the places, the nice reviews and everything. We really appreciate it. Again, Zach, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys. Nice.